Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I'm your host, Dan Hoppin', and this episode is brought to you by my sponsor, Certified Piedmontese. I have a great offer for you, so stick around later in the episode. I want to get that to you. But first, my guest today is a guy who is creating flavors you won't find very many places in Omaha. This is Carlo Cruz. He is the chef and owner of the brand new pop-up restaurant, Collier, which specializes in Filipino cuisine. Carlo Cruz, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dan. I appreciate it so much. It was, it's going to be, I think, super fun here. So can't wait. Absolutely. I cannot wait to learn more about Filipino food and about Collier's background, your background, where it's going in the future. But I need to start with where this all began for me. And that was back on August 15th. You posted a picture on Instagram of this thing called a boodle fight, which we will get to more soon. But basically, it's like a table that is covered in this giant banana leaf and then covered with copious amounts of food just piled on top. And people started sharing this in their Instagram stories a ton that day. And I kept seeing it. I kept seeing it. And I was like, I must have this food. This looks amazing. So before we get into the boodle fight, I think it might just be helpful if you kind of helped set the scene and just describe the cuisine overall, how would you define Filipino food? Um, Filipino food is really a mishmash of everything that has been in the Philippines for so long. Um, One, it would be the Spanish conquering the Philippines. So a lot of Spanish influence from there. Um, And then uh, Chinese influence as well, and soy sauce and everything. And then... Um, I think America, um, those three are like the biggest components for, um, what Filipino cuisine is, but mostly a mix between Spanish and Chinese. Um, and then the vinegar aspect would be just the Southern Southeast Asian influence. I would say, I mean, everybody likes something refreshing with something fatty and you know, it, it, it's like a good mishmash. I, I love it. <laughs> well, the, judging by the amount of people that were at the switch, I think, you know, getting your food, I think a lot of people love it. Uh, also, something I think that's very important to point out about Filipino cuisine is a, it's a very communal food. There's high value place on eating together, gathering around the table. Why is being in community and enjoying that food together such an important part of Filipino cuisine? Um, I think just because of the family aspect of it, every single household in the Philippines will have their grandma, their grandpa, their aunt and uncle, like in the same house eating. Um, And they'll just come in every night, every single meal, they will come in, eat together, sit down, talk and just have a good time. I mean, that is just how it is all over the world as well. Um, Sometimes we forget about it here in America and, I think it's one of the greatest things that you need to do, especially at home, and have that bonding with your family or friends. You know, it's pretty great. I think. Mm-hmm. I would totally agree with that. I think looking back now, my family really prioritized. We're gonna on weekends we're eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. At least yeah. during the weeks, we're gonna eat dinner together. We're not watching TV. We're not doing anything like that. We're gonna set aside time to be together and enjoy each other. And at the time, I 
as a kid, I was just kind of like, okay, whatever. Like, I would rather watch cartoons or whatever right. it is. But now, as I look back, I can really appreciate that. And there was a lot of bonding that happened over those meals. And honestly, I think my love for food came during those times. Yes, and I would say the same thing about me. I mean, enjoying wherever I'm eating with my family or friends, those memories will always, like, come back to me just because they're so particular in time. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think maybe the best example of that, well, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I would think is the best example is, would be the boodle fight. Yes. So as I was kind of doing some research and looking into this a little bit more, I saw one website that described a boodle fight as a meal that dispenses of chairs, cutlery, and dishes. Yes. And I was just like, that sounds all kinds of awesome. Tell me, what is a boodle fight? Um, boodle fight, well, I should say that it started in the military first. Um, the military would go like out in the forest and just start hunting for stuff, get banana leaves, throw it on the table or whatever they're eating on, and just pile a whole bunch of food all over that, that banana leaf. I mean, and then they'll start eating with their hands, Um but then it evolved into what we have it now where everybody's just sitting, having a drink of beer or any type of alcohol with it, laughing, enjoying, eating with their hands, getting as messy as possible, not caring about anything in the world, just eating and having a good time. And I think that's the greatest thing about the Boodle Fight. I mean, just getting messy, not caring, having fun, drinking a whole lot, enjoying the food that you're there, enjoying the company is what really what matters with Boodle Fight. It brings those walls down. Exactly. You don't exactly. have to worry about having proper technique with your utensils. You don't exactly. have to worry about having stuff on your face. You yes. just get to have fun and enjoy one another. Super fun, super fun. Okay. Another item that we have to talk about. You killed the egg roll for me, man. <laughs> because now I've experienced lumpia and I don't I don't want to go back to having egg rolls because they're just not they're not on they're the same not the level. Same. So what are lumpia and why will eating them make people forget egg rolls forever? Um, lumpias are just a skinnier form of an egg roll. And I think it is a much better form of an egg roll. Um, it's not too jam-packed with stuff, but it has the right amount of stuff in it. And you will taste every single layer of that uh, lumpia wrap, which is the same um, wrap as an egg roll, but um, a little thinner and less uh, flaker and bubbly. Um, and then... That filling is just, you know, pork, cabbage, and carrots, and it's just the same filling as a regular egg roll, but that taste that brings it out is just that right amount, mm-hmm. I would say. I feel like it the, the wrapper's a little bit thinner and crisper. It gives a little bit more of a, uh, less of a crunch when you bite it into it, but more of a crisp, and I think because the wrapper is thinner, the filling is able to be a little bit more pronounced. It's less about the taste of, oh, here's something deep fried versus Mm -hmm. here's something with a light fry where the pork and the vegetables are really getting a chance to sing. And I think that's what made me fall in love with it at least. Yes, And for my egg rolls, traditionally they're made with oyster sauce, but I went with um, hoisin sauce instead just because I don't know if people are allergic to seafood and some people just forget traditionally and it was like, hey, let's just do it with this and substitute it with other stuff to make it more friendly for everybody and not worry about their allergies. Mm-hmm. It's great. Something that I thought was really cool with what you did during your time at the Switch, which we're going to get into momentarily here, but you took 
Filipino foods and kind of introduce them to people in a way that they might understand. Like a lot of your menu items were like rice and meat skewers, pork and chicken, wings, uh, lumpia, which we just talked about. They're similar to egg rolls. Like pe- th- these are all things that people can understand, but they're familiar with. So you were taking these these Filipino foods that Omahans might not be all that familiar with, but you were introducing them in a way that Omahans would understand. Was that part of your strategy going in? Yes, it was. Um, I wanted to make sure that everybody knows what they're eating and exactly like see what they're eating so that they're more familiar with it. Um, the rice and the chicken or the skewers, um, they're a little bit more friendly for everybody and they will start picking at it and be like, hey, this is great. Why haven't I had this before? But it's the same thing that I've had everywhere else. The flavors are different, but it's still something familiar to them. Mm-hmm. How did you get into cooking originally? Um, originally, I would say it would be with my mom. And she's the one who introduced cooking to me. And that evolved from that to go into culinary school at Metro. And... I haven't finished yet, but I am trying to go back and finish. But um, and then you know it evolved to what I am doing now and what I love. I mean, that's what every chef would say, and I think it's pretty on par with what I would I'm doing right now. What are your memories of cooking with your mom? Uh, memories. Um, the first thing she taught me was like a fried egg, which was literally Asian style in a wok, lots of oil crack an egg, and it's just brown to crisp. Oh, wow. <laughs> but the yolk was still y- runny. Whoa. And, and it's super yummy, but uh-huh. I don't eat it like that anymore just because I don't like the crunchy aspect and it's kind of rubbery for me. But, yeah, I mean, from there, and then my grandma would teach me other stuff, like passing down recipes from um, my childhood that she makes. Um, and then to now where my stepmom and my dad was kind of involved for it, and it was pretty great for um, the recipes I have with it. It was, it was pretty good. When did you feel like there was a real love for cooking, where it moved beyond, hey, I'm spending time with mom or grandma and, and making some fun stuff, to I really enjoy doing this, and this is something maybe I want to do even professionally? Um, I would say maybe when I was 12, um, I had this memory of just making the most simple Asian cuisine, which is fried rice. And it's just an egg fried rice. And I poured my heart out on it and I served it to my family and they really enjoyed the taste and they were really proud of me that I made it and didn't even know that I made it until I told them that I made it and everything just like fall in place like that. Um, From there on, I was like, I don't know if I am going to pursue culinary cuisine, but it is something that is highly up there in the ladder, I would say. And when did you start cooking in restaurants? Um, Restaurants, I would say 18. As soon as I turned 18, I wasn't cooking in a restaurant. I was cooking in a nursing home, actually. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it was great. Uh, that's where I started cooking a little bit more on, like, the kitchen aspect. But um, from the, before then, I was a dietary aide, which was just serving food to the residents. Um, 
but I started falling in love with it more and more. The more I cooked, the more I enjoyed like looking through the recipes, breaking it down, um, making sure that this is the right thing. If it's not, I'm going to change it to something. It's like a chemistry that you don't know what's going to happen because you don't know the turnout of what's going to happen, but hopefully it's something good, right? And it, and you can always adjust. Yes. Like there's every dish that you make, even if it's not exactly what you wanted, you can make it better the next time, or you can try something new the next time that it just the constant experimentation. Exactly. There's never an end point with cooking, which is what makes it so fun. Exactly. Exactly. So how did you make the decision to go to Metro for culinary school? Um, I didn't actually make that decision yet. Um, I was applying for colleges, obviously, um, but culinary school was something of like a second pick, not my first pick. I was going to see if I could go into the National Guard first. But then um, I got a scholarship through Metro, um, and I was like, you know what, let's just pursue it and see where it goes. And while I was taking classes, I fell in love more and more, especially with the people that I was um, going to school with. They're like one of my closest friends, and I think it was a great experience for me to just travel and enjoy food with them. Where did you travel? Um, we had a school trip to Peru, actually, and it was a great trip because um, Latin cuisine and everything, Peruvian cuisine, was something that's new to me. And um, there are saltados, there are Peruvian potatoes, which, if you didn't know, Peru holds the most amount of potatoes in the world. Really? <laughs> yes. I did and not know that's that. That's where potatoes came from, actually. And they have different varieties of potatoes. It's actually kind of amazing. Um, and then their salsas are different from uh, Mexican salsas. It's a little bit more um, earthy and flavorful, I would say. Um, not, I'm not saying that Mexican salsas are not flavorful, but it's a little bit more richer on the side. Um, it's pretty good. And then I had my guinea pig there. <laughs> My first ever guinea pig. Wait, they eat guinea pig? <laughs> yes, they eat guinea pig. I, okay, is guinea pig good? It's actually pretty good. Really? I wouldn't think that I would eat it, but then I was like, hey, I'm here. Let's try it. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. you got to give it a shot if and it's something that... tastes like chicken just like anything else that people would say. Okay, fair enough. I, I don't think that's probably going to catch on in the United States no, anytime soon. But not. but if we take a trip, maybe that's something worth trying. Yes. So when you came back from that trip, were your culinary goals different based off of that experience? Um, not really. Um, I enjoyed traveling and like food, and I think that's the best way to meet and explore new cultures is to travel and eat their food and um. That just made it more, I want to keep doing what I'm doing and see how I can mix other cultures with my culture or, you know, put two and two, two different cultures together and see how that would turn out. And I think it's a good thing. And I've really enjoyed that doing that. Are there any other travels or trips that you can recall that really stood out and made a big mark on you? Um, This was a family trip, I think, when I was... 15 um we went to thailand in phuket um not cussing (laughs) (laughs) but um they had this crab fried rice that they made 
and it was something that I haven't tasted in a very long time, but also something that was new to my palate because they use cilantro a lot more. And personally, I don't like cilantro. It tastes like soap to me, but I do eat it still, and I wouldn't mind eating it. But that way that they composed that dish, um, it was phenomenal, I think. It was super light. Um, the crab was there. You can taste it. Um, they might have used, um, what is the yellow part of the crab that I can't remember? Uh, the tamale. Tamale. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> that's the word. I couldn't remember it. And I was thinking of it in my language, but then I was like, that's not the right word. Well, I cheated. I have Google. Yeah, that works. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Obviously, travel played in friendships played a very big part in establishing that you were going to make culinary part of your career. Now, the next step that I have documented in your journey based off of what I've found in research and everything is that you helped open the Red Lantern in the Switch Beer and Food Hall in July of 2020. Is there anything on your timeline between that and what we've been discussing that you feel like we need to hit on before we get into Red Lantern? Um. Not really, other than me just being in the health service side of um, the culinary world. Um, I think that's probably one of the biggest help and pushes that I had, um, just because um, people diet, people's diets and their changes in their lifestyle has impacted me. And, and seeing those impacts made me feel like I need to pursue other things other than... Um, being a typical Filipino nurse or something, but it, it, I mean, it's great. And my family had the greatest support in my back for it. And it was, it was just meant to be, I think. Can you touch on that a little bit more? Because I think so often when we think of a culinary professional or somebody who's involved in the hospitality industry, immediately our minds just go to restaurant or food truck, you know, something along those lines. But there are, you know, people who work at country clubs, there are people mm-hmm. who work at hotels, there are chefs and cooks that work in hospitals and nursing homes. Can you kind of talk about that experience a little bit and why it made such a big impact on um, you? That, in, that experience is actually very, very nice for me. Um, my dad's the one that actually introduced me into it. Um, he was a dietary aide before um, what he's doing now. And he was like, hey, come over and work with us and see how it, how you like it and whatnot. And from me becoming a dietary aide, seeing the faces of my residents and seeing the faces of anybody else that come into the building or their family members and whatnot, and they're trying their food and they're like, oh, wow, this isn't your typical ready-to-made like product. It's actually you guys make it from scratch. And I think that's a belief that everybody has of um, hospital food or any nursing home foods um, that it's ready to go and it doesn't taste as good. Um, But you'll be surprised on how many places actually make their things from scratch. And a lot of residents feel like this is my home and they want to be here for the rest of their lives until, you know, they die. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. super morbid, but that's how it is. Yeah. I imagine that's kind of a fun challenge for you as a chef as well because you're not just cooking the same thing every day like 
sometimes it's probably frustrating dealing with dietary needs because you have to make so many adjustments. But it's also kind of like solving a puzzle because everybody has an individual, not only an individual palate, but individual dietary needs that, that have to be met. So you're constantly solving like these little challenges throughout yes. the day, right? Yes. Um, my boss and her coworker, they do a good job of like making sure that we have everything um, lined up for the entire week. And they make sure that all of our dietary stuff that we need for, like, um, puree stuff, low-sodium stuff, um, people who can't eat, like, whole foods, so we have to mechanical it. Um, they make sure that everything is there and that everything is going to taste the same, even though that it doesn't look the same. And I think it's great. Um, they, The residents that do are on those diets, they're really appreciative that it tastes the same as what they would with their um, colleagues and whatnot. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Hey there, listeners. We'll get back to my guest in a minute, but I got to remind you one more time about certified Piedmontese. I don't know about you, but I like to know where my food comes from. I love when restaurant menus list all the different producers and farms where their meats, cheeses, and vegetables arrive from. It gives me confidence that I'm eating a quality product because the restaurant is proud to attach its name to the brand. The same goes for beef, and that's one of the main reasons why I love certified Piedmontese. Certified Piedmontese is farm-to-fork traceable as it purchases its cattle from a trusted network of family ranches in the Midwest. All certified Piedmontese beef is raised without hormones, steroids, or antibiotics, and it's 100% source verified by Where Food Comes From Incorporated. And when you buy certified Piedmontese, you know where your food is coming from and why it tastes so good. Place your order today on Piedmontese.com with my promo code HOPPEN, H-O-P-P-E-N, and feast on delicious, safe cuts of beef with confidence. And now, back to my guest. Okay, so let's, let's get into Red Lantern a little bit. This was a Vietnamese and Asian street cuisine restaurant that opened in the Switch Beer and Food Hall, which is uh, located in Blackstone. And you were the head chef there. Yes, I was. How did that opportunity come about? Especially because I think... As we've talked about, this is your first foray into the restaurant mm-hmm. industry. Um, the owners were a close family friend. Um, they're amazing, and I love them so much, and especially them passing down the recipes to me. Um, Vietnamese food is one of the greatest foods out there, I would think, um, just because it has French influence and Asian influence from it. Um, and I think it's very delicate. Um, the family... They asked me if I wanted to come cook for them and didn't know it was going to be like a head chef position, but eventually it did turn out to a head chef position just because mom, she didn't want to work. <laughs> um, and I was like, I totally understand. I can handle everything if you want me to. I mean, I went to culinary school, not all the way, but, you know, fit, like enough to where I know what I'm doing. And they were really thankful for what I've done. And I'm really thankful for the opportunity that they gave me. So. What was that experience like, running a kitchen for the first time? Um, it was nerve-wracking at first. Um, the first week or so, um, we didn't know what the switch was going to look like and how well my team is. Um, but since we only had bon mis and fuzz for the first two weeks until I started introducing specials, um, it started to go a little bit faster and faster, and everybody was finally getting the groove and 
finally listening to the stuff that I'm saying. And then if they had feedback that they want to give to me, I will listen to them. And as long as everybody's like cohesive, it was great. How important is that to learn that lesson that you need to, as a boss, be able to receive feedback as well as give it? Um, receiving feedback is kind of hard, um, especially from someone that is, you know, not on the same level as you, but technically they are because you're working the same thing and they understand what is going on through the line or the cashier or the feedback from, um, our customers. They understand it and you should listen to everything and every body that you hear something from, um, just because it will make you into a greater person and you start evolving to a greater person, I would say. Now, unfortunately, uh, the Red Lantern, it closed in December of 2020. What were your emotions around that and, and what did you do next? Um, it was very sad. Um, I didn't know where I was going to go next. A lot of people reached out to me to start working with them, like V-Merts, um, a couple of my friends work there um the chop house right across the street the head chef there he asked me to come work for him um but yeah and then I was like maybe I should just go back just see um the more stable side of cooking and just making sure that I am okay and being in the comfort zone that I am in um and so I went back to um a sister facility that I'm working in right now as well um it was very sad but I went through it, and we we're here now. I mean, Callier and everything. It was it's great. When you talk about opportunities like V Mertz and Chop House, like those are very prestigious, you know, well known restaurants. Mm-hmm. What what made you say I, I want to take a step back and evaluate things rather than jump into one of those opportunities? Um, first of all, it was still COVID. And mm-hmm. I didn't know if we were going to revert back to closing again. Um, and that'll be super hard for me and anybody that is around me. So I was like, hey, I might as well just go back to the nursing home and have a much more stable job and see where I can go there after six months and see where it's going to go. And then right before I left, actually, Richard was like, hey, you do you want to actually like pursue something? And I was like, I really do, but right now I don't know where I am, and I think it would be a great time for me to step back for a little bit and then go forward from there. So when does the first like real inspiration for Collier start to pop into your head? When, when do the wheels really start turning? Um, when I have this in-person conversation with Richard. Um, and this is Richard Mendoza who owns El Arapone, yes. which is also at the Switch Beer and Food Yes, Hall. yes. Um, when he said that he really thinks that Filipino food will pop off here in Omaha. And I was like, you know what, let me try and see what I can do and make sure that everybody will like it and we'll have a good feedback for it. Um, but even the feedback that I got from the Switch was <laughs> mind-blowing. I mean... Everybody came out and sold me out for the first, like, two or three days. It was amazing. So what are – I guess at what point did you actually decide, I'm going to go for this and I'm going to I'm gonna try it? I'm going to call this thing Collier. I'm going to try and do a pop-up. Um, it was actually um, 
I think two or three days before I posted the first post for Kalie. And that's that's when I actually made Kalie into Kalie. And I was like, street. Kalie means street in Tagalog. And I was like, you know, it just makes sense. I wanted to do skewers. I wanted to do um, the lechon. And those two things are like something that is street food, um, I would say. And then every single street in the Philippines has like little tiny restaurants mom and pop shops um and people would just come in grab some food sit down eat go to back to work i mean it's great and like that is some of the food that i am trying to showcase and i would think that would be street food as well because it is like gritty to the point that you probably shouldn't be open if you were here in america <laughs> but the food tastes great yes, and that's yes what matters. exactly exactly as long as you have the great stomach for it but you i'm if you eat it and you have, you know, diarrhea for like a couple of days, <laughs> you will go back to it and be like, okay, I'm fine now because you have the enzymes in your stomach. So yep, it's great. Yep. You just got to get through it once. So what is like the, the level of intimidation versus excitement when you put that first post up? Because before you put that post up, it's like, okay, we can talk about doing a pop-up all we want and we can mm-hmm. lay plans. We can do all this stuff. But once you put that post up and you like release that idea into the world, then there's then there's expectation. Then yes. you actually have to do it. And I'm yes. sure that yes, there's excitement behind that, but it's also kind of like, oh shoot, I gotta make this happen now. <laughs> um, when I posted that post, all the food that I had on that post was exactly what I wanted on the item, minus one item, which was a milkfish. It is a traditional. Um, fish in the Philippines that you can get. Um, in Tagalog, it's called bangus and translates to milkfish, obviously. Um, it's a super fatty fish, and it's super great when it's grilled or fried up. Um, but I didn't put that on the menu because I didn't want to scare anybody because it is going to be like half of a fish filleted. But maybe next time. We'll hold off to that one. Okay. But, I mean, people were getting scared of the shrimp head on and everything so i mean it, it's still a good baby steps yeah, yeah baby steps baby steps exactly well i think that fish sounds delicious oh yeah i would want to try that yeah but but were you intimidated at all to 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 release that idea to the world and be like okay this is collier it's happening um yes and no um i would say yes just because i didn't know what was going to happen afterwards um and then no just because it has been done here in America. It's just in the bigger cities. And I think that here in Omaha, since we're, our food culture is evolving, like, really, really fast. And I think it's, like, a great way to just keep going and just follow domino effect and just keep going with it. How have you seen the food culture growing in Omaha? Because I would it's, agree with you 100%. I just want to get your take on it. It's really great. Um, a lot of um, Latin cuisine... Um, African cuisine, Southern cuisine, it's just like keeps going and going in and in. And everybody's like responding to it and like, hey, we just don't have meat and potatoes here in Omaha. Mm-hmm. And we're finally evolving to something that's great. And people are finally realizing that there's so many more great foods out there. And so they're going to keep trying more and more foods. And I think that's the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Richard gets in your ear. He, he tells you, hey, I think you should do this. You decide I'm going to do a pop-up. 
you release that post to the world, you say, hey, this is coming. What are like the first steps in establishing a pop-up and getting it going? Obviously, after you create the name, once mm-hmm. the concept is established, what, what are the first things that you do? Well, the first thing actually was before the name that came up. Um, I was trying to think of foods that are similar to American cuisine um, just because everybody will be like, I don't know what Filipino food is. And I was like, maybe I'll make it more Western friendly. So that is what the Adobe Winks came from. And I was like, I make this for my colleagues here in the nursing home. I was like, let's see how they respond to it. They responded really well. And I was like, okay, Adobe Winks. Great. They have tried lumpias already. They have tried the pancit already, which is a noodle dish. And um, lechon koale. And I think everybody likes pork belly. Like, bacon, come on. Everybody likes bacon. And I was like, I don't need to worry about that. But I need to worry about the skewers. And what else am I going to put on the plate? I was like, garlic rice. Garlic rice, it's like something that's super simple. And everybody loves it. Um, And then I was like, skewers. Pork and chicken. Um, Pork would be more traditional for the skewers. Just because in the Philippines, they eat more pork. Um... But chicken is slowly coming down, and then beef would still be last, just because it's super expensive there. Um, and then seafood, I think seafood would be in between pork and chicken, actually. But yeah, I mean, it was just making sure that everything was there, everything that I needed, um, flavor-wise, and how it looks. Um, that actually came last. <laughs> Like, I don't know how I'm going to plate this. I was like, tray, put the rice on, put the skewers on, put the eggplants and the um, achara, which is that pickled papaya, and then the sauces. I mean, it was, it's an experience, obviously, and sometimes you just got to roll with it. So the first thing was establishing the menu? Yes, establishing the menu. Um, and then I was like, you know, since I'm going with skewers, these are traditionally um, Filipino street food. And um, I was like, okay, so Kalye is next. And I was like, that's the name. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to stick with it. And I like the name. It's super simple. And it's amazing, I think. Uh huh. Um, and then um, prices would be next. Um, making sure the prices are okay and not too expensive, but not too little, which I kind of had that mistake, but <laughs> we'll, not, we'll not talk about that one. <laughs> um, and then... Yeah, and then just plating and make sure, making sure that my team that I had was okay with what they're doing. And if I was not there, they would be, you know, on par with everything. So it was great. How do you train employees, especially when you're training them on something that is, like, brand new? Super new. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I actually, I had, like, a really bad language barrier with some of my employees because um, half of them were Venezuelan from Richard. And... They did not speak a lot of English. So I was like, okay, translator. <laughs> I need a translator. So I downloaded a translate, translator app on my phone and just started translating to them and talking to them like I am talking to you right now. And it was amazing because they're like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And from there on, it was just like a lot smoother than anything. And then I had to make sure that my cashier was, you know, 
good at English and making sure that they know my menu. So I would tell them, break down the menu to them, um, what it is and what it like, what it tastes like, and what they should compare it to um, to American food. And um, of course, I had them taste the menu as well, just so that they know fully what it is. And I think that's the biggest thing. And yeah, I mean, it was super easy. It was, I mean, my team was great, and I love them very much. They were great. Mm-hmm. Obviously, from your time at Red Lantern, you're very familiar with the switch, and I'm sure Richard being there as well helped. But how did the opportunity to to pop up there? You were there from October 5th to the 17th. Mm-hmm. How did that opportunity arise and come together? Um, it was Richard's idea, first and foremost. He was actually trying to make me do it earlier in the year, um, around January, February-ish. But since I was just starting my new job and I was like, I, this is not going to work out. Let's keep brainstorming on more stuff. And then he introduced me to Chris, which is the manager of the switch. And, um, from there on, we just kept brainstorming and passing, you know, little notes to him and making sure that everything is like good to go. And then we finally set up a date, um, two months before, um, the actual day that we're going to open and then it just went on from there and there and then obviously opening day and then closing day it was it was great it was amazing so obviously over a year of thinking and planning went into this months of preparing the menu figuring out the name training employees downloading a translator yes. all this stuff the night before you're going to open Collier and release this this concept to the world for the first time. What are you thinking? What are, where are your emotions at? Um, panicked. <laughs> really, really panicked. Um, I didn't have the menu like written out just because the, um, the printer for menus, they didn't get back to me until Tuesday, and I was like, it's too late. So I was still working at my other job, and I was like, okay, hey, girlfriend, I need you to come with me. Bring your friends. Let's go to the Switch. Make this menu. I'm going to start prepping while you guys make the menu. And I just showed them the layout of the menu that I wanted to have, uh, make sure that it's legible and everything. Um, they, great, they did a really great job with the menu, I think. And then the little cartoon characters that they had on the menu was created by actually the Red Lantern's owner's um, daughter. <laughs> She's great. I love her art. Um, she always had like really cute art on our menu as well, and I made sure that her art was also on there. It was great. It was like a a chicken leg and like a, a angry pig head. Yeah, and I actually and have super. Yeah, they are really cute. I have more of the little cartoon that I had from her. Um, they it just didn't make it on the menu, but for hopefully next time it will be on there. Oh, yeah. you got to save some. Can't use yeah. all of them on the first pop. Okay. We've got to save some cute cartoon characters exactly. for the next exactly. time. Okay, so, like, I, I believe you opened at 11, right? Mm. Um, I, w- I was you, actually still late because still late. I forgot a couple ingredients the night of. Um, so I couldn't prepare the lumpias or any of the skewers just because I forgot the vinegar. And I was like, you can't have Filipino food without vinegar. So I technically opened at 2 o'clock. 
and I was very bummed because there were so many people that came and wanted to try the food. But it was still like we were still trying to catch up from the night before that I didn't get to prep much. But it was it was good. It was good. Well, I think that's just a good view into restaurant life overall yes. and why people need to understand and be patient because there's just there's so much to think about and there's so much oh, yeah. to prep for that it's it's almost impossible to prepare even the best laid plans mm-hmm. like once stuff starts firing yeah, yeah just but still on that first day you sold out at the switch and yes. you've got people who are like who are showing up and wanting to try the food. Mm-hmm. What, what was that feeling like? As you're driving home that first day, are uh, you exhausted, excited, all the above? All of the above. I mean, I was super, super stoked that the turnout was super, like, mind-blowing. And everybody that was there, they were enjoying the food, and I was getting a lot of good feedback from everybody. And if I didn't have a good feedback, I would, like, turn it into the next day. But... The first day, I didn't have any bad feedback. So I was like, let's keep going and make sure that everything is great. And, I mean, I posted that video, and I was like, you guys are rocking everything, and you guys are just going with it. And I was like, you guys are amazing. Um, tomorrow, we'll make sure that we have more stuff, um, which I did, but also ran out again. <laughs> <laughs> so not enough, but even more. I keep producing more and more and just made sure that everybody was getting what they want and trying everything and even though obviously you want to continue to have food to sell to people to be able to have that post at the end of the day that says hey we're sold out that creates fomo and that makes people want to come back the next day or the day after because they're like okay this place is clearly doing something right if they're selling out of food like people are enjoying this so there's there's pros and cons to that Mm -hmm. so obviously People are trying, most people who are coming to Collier are trying Filipino cuisine for the first time. What was the feedback specifically about the food that you were getting from people? You said it was all very positive, but like what, were people surprised by the flavors or like what exactly were they saying? Um, A lot of the first days were actually just Nebraskans. Um, They were telling me that this is something that they haven't tried before and they were really excited and um, they really love the skewers, the um, wings, the lumpias. It's like something that they never had before. And um, But people who tr- like decided to be more adventurous and try to shrimp, traditionally, they would be cooking that in Sprite or just like steam it in water. Um, but what I did was adobo style for the shrimp so that it, has a familiar flavor from the wings but it's shrimp and it i think it tastes a lot better and they'd never done that and people any of the filipino community that tried my shrimp they're like wait did you adobo this and i was like yes i did and you guys know that you probably should do that at home now too because it's amazing it's one of the greatest sauces out there i think i mean it's good so you were bringing something new not only to us newbies here in omaha but like people who knew filipino food they Mm. were getting surprised too yes um like it's it's kind of weird because like they should know that it should work out just because it's just a sauce you can put it in anything and it would still be a great turnout and they're like you know what i'm gonna do that at home and see how it works and i was like yes go for it it'll be great 
Okay, now we got to talk about the Boodle fights. We talked about those at the beginning of the episode. We're going to bring them back because you offered those during your time at the Switch. Uh, people had to had to call ahead ahead of time. I think you had to have a group of at least six. Six. But how did you set that up? Because for people who haven't been to the Switch, it's a it's a food hall. There, there's a bunch of um, restaurants that have bays inside, <laughs> and then there's kind of a bunch of tables set out around them. How did you set up the Boodle fights? Because that's something that is entirely new to that yes. space. Um, well, the great thing for that is. The Switch actually has reservations. Um, you can call ahead or call one of the base and say, hey, can we reserve a table? I did not know that. And, this is news. Um, they had like reservation like little papers Blackers, that they yeah. have. And they just put it on the table and it says the name, the time that are coming in, the party amount and whatnot. It was great. Um, they decided that it was a lot better. And I was like, this is actually a lot better because I can just put people right in front of me and make sure that they're enjoying their food and seeing how their feedback is and see how much laughter they have. And it was, it was great. Um, it was a good experience for the switch and for me as well. What was it like for you getting to watch not only the table, but seeing other people walk by who were just coming into the switch or maybe they're eating at another restaurant and all of a sudden they're looking over and going, what is this? Yes. Um, it was actually really funny at first because um, the first two times that I had it, which was Tuesday, the opening day, was my boss. And she brought my entire crew from um, the nursing home. And it ended up being from nine people to 17 people. <laughs> um, it was a really big one. And I was like, ah don't have the tables for this <laughs> and now i need to close down because i am not gonna have enough food from you guys so i was like okay let's find a couple tables that i can put together and finally we found like three tables i put together outside in the patio area um and i just prepared food for them over there um and then everybody that's around them and anybody that's walking from the sidewalk was like looking over smelling the food and they're like what the heck is this? And they started taking pictures. Um, just like the second time, I had to make sure that I had the table right in front of me so I can see what everybody's doing. Um, anybody that was walking past or was coming in, they were like, again, what is this? Why is there so many food and there's like this many people eating this and they're just eating with their hands? What's going on? And It's the best guerrilla marketing ever. Oh, yeah. And people were like, taking pictures and like posting it later, tagging us on it. It was great. Um, it was the best marketing idea that I had without even knowing that it was going to be the best marketing idea that I had. What do you think was the most important thing that you learned during your time at Red Lantern that helped Collier be such a success? Um, hmm. I would say... Anything that I learned from Red Lantern was from either being a boss that I am now um, to working as like someone lower for them. Um, anything in between those is also like a great aspect for it. Um, just like how to talk to my workers, making sure that everybody's okay, making sure that everybody has hasn't been overworked or anything like that. Um, and it 
it was really great because one of my workers told Richard, which is she's Richard's um, sister. And she was like, I really love working for him. He's like super calm and super collected. And she was like, I really would like to work for him again. And I was like, I really appreciate that because I didn't even know that I was doing that. Um, But like if you have been in like a French style restaurant, those chefs will start throwing stuff at you. And that's probably one of the more terrifying things working in a French restaurant. Um, But I mean, it is something that you will learn. And you'll just appreciate and be like, wow, it's great to just have someone cool, calm, and collected. And, I mean, that's what I try to, like, be. And I think it went pretty well for them. I think just interacting with you uh, previously and on this episode, you have a pretty calm demeanor to begin with. But... It, was that something that you had to develop over time that, hey, I need to make sure that I'm maintaining my cool? Like, were you conscious of that as you're in the kitchen? Um, No, actually. Um, But I was a very shy kid growing up, and it evolved to what I am now. Um, A little bit more outgoing and making sure that I care for everybody. Um, That aspect of me was really great, and my mom... And my dad helped me bring that out, um, making sure that I'm not too shy, but to talk to people and understand what they're saying and make sure to become a good li- listener. And um, if it wasn't for them, it was I, I don't know where I'll be, really. Um, but they were a really big push in my life, I would say. Okay, so your last day at the Switch was October 17th. As you closed down that last day, what were your feelings like? Was it more like just relief that, oh man, like that was a really hard two weeks and now I'm through it? Or was it more, I have so much positive momentum right now. I wish I could keep this thing going. Um, it was actually both. Um, first, it was really like a really big relief just because I was waking up at like eight o'clock, going to the Asian market, making sure I have everything that I need for that day. And then um, going to the switch, preparing everything, making sure everything was good to go. We have everything kneased uh, out and whatnot. And then I was super ecstatic because I want to keep this going. And like the feedback that I was getting from people, and like the last day, I was I closed down at like eight thirty. Um, people were still coming in and I was like, I'm so sorry. I am sold out of food, but you guys can go do this public boodle fight. If you guys want to join, it's $35 per person. And some of them was like, Oh no, we were, we we're just trying to get like something to go so that we can go. And I was like, totally understand. But just to let you know, this, this is my last day. And hopefully that you guys come back. If I do do this again, it was a lot of good feedback that I was getting from people. And I just really wanted to keep going. Um, it was pushing me to do my best, and it was really great. So what's next for Collier? And I know that that's kind of an open-ended question, but maybe it's more so like what is just the life of a pop-up owner like as you try and figure out what your next opportunity is? Um, hopefully doing more pop-ups, um, making sure that everybody will try more Filipino cuisine and having that experience of just a small restaurant that will open anywhere. Um, hopefully I get more opportunities like that and hopefully from 
pop-ups, I will, can do a little bit more catering for the boodle fights. Um, and then from catering to having a food truck, hopefully, and then probably having a brick-and-mortar restaurant, and hopefully that will be the end goal, but we'll see. How important is it for you to introduce this Filipino cuisine to Omaha? Because this is something that otherwise we don't really get much of an opportunity to to try. Mm-hmm. Most people are unfamiliar with even what it is and haven't had it. And you mentioned, you know, growing up, this was something that was really important to, to cook with your mom and your grandma. And now you're taking these recipes that you know and you love, this cuisine, this tradition, mm-hmm. and you're presenting it to people for the first time. Like when I had it, that was my first introduction of Filipino cuisine. Like yeah. whether I had a positive or negative impression on that food came down to you and I had a very positive impression That's on good. it. How like, how important is that to you? Um, for me, it's the expression just like you just had. Um, it's what people deserve. I think it's like good food is the basis of everything and people enjoying that and people you seeing them enjoy that food it's probably the most pleasing thing a chef could ever have um it's not how much they make at the end of the day it's actually just seeing the feedback from people and from what i got from Kalier and being at the switch it was the most um humbling and most um gracious thing that i have seen and i want to keep doing it and i love it so much that hopefully we keep going and going and going and we'll see where it goes at the end I certainly hope so, too. Uh, I want to make sure we give a shout-out to Richard Mendoza. We've mentioned him many times during this episode. He's been on this podcast. He's an awesome human being and makes tremendous food at El Arapone. Yes, he does. How important was it to have him kind of working alongside you as a mentor throughout this whole thing? Um, It was a really, really big positive thing. Richard is such an amazing person. Um, He's down-to-earth, super lovable guy. Everybody loves him. Um, and seeing how he started a lot upon and to what it is now, it's, like, opening my mind and be like, hey, I want to pursue that and do something that he's doing um, but my with my own style and hopefully that I can get on that level and probably more, hopefully. But he's... He's an amazing guy, and I love him to death. He's so great. Yeah, and it's cool that he's kind of, you can kind of look at his path as almost like a roadmap and see the different checkpoints he's made and been like, okay, this gives me something potentially to follow a little bit as I move forward with Collier and see what it looks like. Okay, I got two more questions for you. These are the two things that I like to ask anyone who comes on this show. First one, what is something that people don't understand about working in the restaurant or hospitality industry that you wish they did understand? Um, I would say food preparation. Um, just the time that it goes from, waitress goes from table, getting their orders, to getting it to the back, make sure the cooks have it, and then the cooks cooking it throughout that line, making sure that it is presentable making sure that it tastes good for everybody and making sure that it comes out in time if it's late a couple more minutes don't worry about it just eat 
when you get it, <laughs> it, it would still taste good. I mean, if you don't have a pro- if you have a problem with that food, you can always send back. Just don't be rude about it. And I think that is something that people need to understand. Is like you don't have to be super mean about anything. You could just give a feedback, and people will reciprocate to that. And I think it would be great if people understood that understand that more mm-hmm. that's great advice to follow yeah I, I think you know no restaurant is trying to serve you a bad meal no, or no, trying no. to serve you food slow or give you a bad experience so as long as you can kindly provide um some constructive criticism i think that mm-hmm. just helps everyone involved exactly and then to get at, get you out of here on a positive note what is your favorite part about working in the hospitality industry um my favorite part is Seeing my residents um, or anybody that comes through my window um, saying how the food is and seeing their expression and seeing how they respond to what I say, um, it's actually one of the greatest things out there. Um, They are the greatest joys in my life, I would say. Um, They're great. Seeing that smile, seeing hearing those words that they're saying like, Hey chef, you did a good job. It was amazing. I've never tasted something like this before. Those are like the words that will bring joy to me. Even if I'm having like a terrible day at work or something. Well, that that's a great note to end on a super positive note. Carlo, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show and I can't thank you enough for being brave to, to break out and to start Collier. Um, I'm, a beneficiary of someone who hadn't had Filipino food. Now I know that it's awesome and I, and I love it and I can't wait to have more of it as Collier continues to grow. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Dan. This was a great experience. I mean, I loved every single moment of it. So it was great. Well, that is a pleasure to hear. Thank Thank you you for coming on and Omaha as always. Thanks for eating with us. Ahura Media Production.